0: Another edition of Now and Then, Flatow Academy Theater. My name is Randy Reed, and before we get too far into the show, here we go. <coughs> Happy New Year to you all. We are um, entering 2023. For this year, I wish you nothing but joy, happiness, peace, health, Lower food prices, a Stanley Cup parade through the streets of Toronto, and above all, tickets to many events at the Flatow Academy Theatre. Old Lang Syne also goes out to my Scottish friends and family, who will be celebrating Robbie Burns Day on January the 25th. Looking forward to this presentation today. We are going to have some fun. I'm going to introduce you to two important gentlemen, but that comes in a bit. Um, I have to tell you a little bit about how this podcast came to be. Now that we're on our third episode, I feel like we're uh, an established thing here. We've kind of got the trick down, and uh, I am feeling very good about it. This idea for the project has been rattling around in my pea brain, for a number of months. And I really didn't know how to approach it. So I did what all the young hipsters do, I Googled it. And after Googling, I found out that I needed some equipment. Well, I didn't have that. And then I found out that I needed to have some computer expertise, which I do not have. I also found out that I needed a little bit of editing ability and recording ability, which I didn't have either. So I was kind of frustrated at first. But then I contacted my friend Amy Terrell at the Boys and Girls Club here in Lindsay. And she put me on to a young fellow by the name of Warren Frank. Now Warren Frank, I met him a few years ago while he was the lead singer of a band called The Kents. And it turns out he works at the Boys and Girls Club and is a talented, very talented producer and engineer. So he has been my right-hand man right from the beginning, and I want to thank Warren for that. Um, Also, he put me in touch with another fellow who works at the Boys and Girls Club, whose name was William McGinn. I realized kind of early on that we were going to need some social media presence to get this thing off the ground, and William has been a godsend that way. He has provided us with the website and the email and all the necessary social media things that we needed to have, along with finding places to put this podcast. So, William, thank you very much as well. And I also wanted to have a female voice in the podcast, and through um, a former colleague of mine, Jessie Kennedy, she put me in touch with a young lady by the name of Renee Frank, who coincidentally happens to be Warren Frank's younger sister. Renee has provided... Some great uh, episode segments so far this season. Um, she is the, uh, the voice of Mary the Ghost, which we'll be hearing from shortly. She was also Elsie uh, Janis in the first episode, and she has been terrific. So thank you very much, Renee. I also have to thank um, a couple of regular contributors who you won't be hearing from this month, but you will be hearing from starting again in February, and that's Ian McKechnie, and um, the general manager of the Academy Theatre, Mr. Craig Metcalf. So thank you both gentlemen very much for your contributions thus far. So, I have a feeling our friend Mary is in the house. Are you there, my friend?
1: I'm right here, Randy. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, and you?
1: I'm fine, thanks. Although, folks say I'm always looking a little pale. <laughs>
0: For people that may be joining us for the first time, Mary is the resident ghost spokesperson for the Academy Theater. She has been there since the very beginning back in the 1890s and has seen it all. Mary, I've got to tell you that much of the feedback we've gotten from the last episode includes how impressed folks were with your beautiful singing voice.
1: Oh my, that's wonderful. I do enjoy singing.
0: I think that maybe we should make that a regular spot in our upcoming episodes. Mary's vaudeville tune of the month. What do you think? Terrific!
1: I'll choose a different tune every month. And with your help on guitar, we'll show the folks some of the wonderful songs that came through our glorious theater.
0: Now, Mary, do you know who we have this month?
1: Boo, I mean, who?
0: Ray Marshall and Jim Brown.
1: Oh, my goodness! Two of my favorite gentlemen! Oh, and they did so much to help keep the theatre going. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing from them.
0: Well then, stick around, because they are both going to be featured this month. Don't go far, Mary. We'll be checking in with you later.
1: I'll be right here when you need me.
0: Okay, I would also like, before we get into our guest this month, I would like to give a shout-out to a young fellow by the name of Denny Grignol. Denny has been around this town for a long time as an entertainer, a comedian, a radio host, and a podcast host. His podcast, the Advocate Podcast, has been around for a number of uh, episodes now and is doing very well. And uh, I want everyone to know that after we did episode one back in November, the very first person that reached out to me before any family or friends even was Denny. He sent me a lovely email complimenting us on our, our job well done, and I really, really appreciate it. So, Denny, thank you very much, and Happy New Year to your family. I am very, very pleased to be able to share with you a conversation that I had with one of the icons of the arts around this community, Mr. Jim Brown. He is, and I don't think he'll mind me telling you this, he is now 93 years old, and he, for a number of years, was on the board, not only for the Academy Theater, but for the Kortha Summer Theater as well. I'll let him tell the story. I was fortunate enough to have a long conversation with Jim at his home in Fenland Falls.
2: Um, beside um, Tom, uh, 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 what am I trying to say, the restaurant over there, as you're coming into town, what's the restaurant that comes up? Oh, the um, Fallsview or whatever it's no, called no, now? No, no, the, the, the popular, the um, the chain. Oh, Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. Okay. So when you came into Tim Hortons, you go up, I forget the names of all these streets. And then if you go in there, there's Langton School. Mm-hmm, yep. You know the Langton yep. School? Well, two driveways past that, my dad a new colonel spooner of the salvation army okay and back you know in the war this is back of the war and dad always wanted us to get out of the city in the summertime so I, anyways i'm now i'm p- product of two marriages my dad's second wife okay so my brother was about uh, oh, 10 12 years older than me and my sister was even older than that, and then I came along, so I'm the little guy down here. Okay. So um, Dad was most anxious that we get out of the city, particularly in the summertime. So Colonel Spooner said to him, he, it was one of his clients, Colonel Spooner said to him, Listen, I have a cottage up on, on the river going out into Sturgeon Lake. Would you be interested in renting it? So dad came home and he said, I've rented a cottage for the summer. We said, oh wow, this is great. (laughs) So up we came and then we did that for three summers. And then um, my dad came home one night and he said, you know that place up at Fennon Falls? And of course we're all, yes, yes. He said, I bought it. Well, my mother nearly passed out. She jumped up and screamed, you bought it? Oh, my goodness, how are we ever going to pay for it? You know, that was her
0: first. Mm-hmm. Did
2: you know how much she paid for it?
0: Not very much, I'll bet
2: you. $1,800. <laughs> and that included the cottage and all the stuff in it. A boat and a motor all went with it. Oh, my. And, of course, then we just expanded from there. So when Dad died, um, he, um, my brother and sister, of course, were well and well established. I wasn't married and I was the single one so dad left the cottage to me and then I had friends that were oh they were in the building and all kinds of and architectural and stuff and pretty soon people were saying to me if you could see it over there you came in on the top you went down onto this level where the cottage was and then you went down to the lake okay. so it was really built on three levels So Eric said to me, he was the architect, why don't you put a a second story on this place? You can enter from the top up there and winterize it. So the more I thought about it, the more I thought, hey, maybe this is a good idea. So I got him to draw up the plans. I got, um, you know, a couple of builders who said they'd be interested in working with me and we put it up and we did it and we winterized it all and then I had a home to retire in. Great. So this leads you, I'm leading you into this. (laughs) So anyways, um, uh, and of course I was doing, in North York, teaching, but then I was starting to do a lot of music because I was getting more involved in music with choirs and bands and orchestras and all kinds of stuff. And as solos, I studied voice, so I was singing all over the place. And um, a friend of mine up here called me said, do you know they're advertising for a music coordinator up here in this area? And I said, wow. So I phoned and I asked if I could have an application. They mailed it out to me. I filled it all in and sent it back. I came up for an interview with about 40 other people and thought that's the end of that. And about 10 days later, I got a call from the superintendent of schools. And he said, are you interested in this job still? Oh, I said, of course I'm interested in it. Well, he said, you got it. Starting next September. I said, wow. Well, of course, I was thrilled to pieces. Gave my resignation in down there. And of course, I was able to get the cottage all done. I wanted to get it so I could live in it right away. Mm -hmm. And everything just went boom, boom, boom. And before I knew it, you know, September came 1973. And I moved up here and became the music coordinator for all the schools. Right.
0: Yeah. We'll be hearing from Jim again shortly, but I want you to meet Ray Marshall. For those of you who don't know, Ray was a longtime general manager of the Academy Theater and I had a chance to talk to him at his home in Lindsay. I'm here with a longtime friend, Ray Marshall, who worked at the Academy Theatre for many years and we're going to talk about a whole whack of things, I'm quite sure, over the next little while. So, Ray, thank you very much for your time.
3: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Your involvement in the theatre started when? In
3: 1975, I was uh, doing my apprenticeship for Niagara College Theatre Centre out in Calgary. I met Dennis Sweeting, who was at the moment traveling across Canada, talking to actors, directors, designers, and technicians about the upcoming summer of 75. And Dennis got some money from the Ontario Arts Council to take a train trip. And uh, that's what he did. He was popping in on uh, the, right from probably Thunder Bay right, right to Victoria, and then flying home after that. So we stopped in at Calgary, I met him for the first time, told me all about the Academy Theatre and the course of Summer Theatre, which I had never heard of when I was at theatre school. I grew up in Stouffville, which is an hour away, (laughs) and at Theatre School in Welland, Ontario, which was and is sometimes called the armpit of Ontario. (laughs) Um, We never mentioned the Summer Theatre in Lindsay, or the Academy, which is one of the oldest theaters in Canada mm-hmm. so I was surprised that I got to meet Dennis had an interview the next morning and we shook hands on a deal for that summer of 75 so it's I just had my 50th anniversary um, not that I've been there for 50 years but it, it all started 50 years ago
0: well wow, that's great and so how long
3: did you work with Dennis there Dennis and I and uh, t- you know a team of Numerous actors, uh, we started with six or seven on the crew, um, four designers, and up to 27,000 ticket sales per summer. Wow. Uh, because we, and we have to clarify that a little bit, Since certainly since I became the manager in 85, is that the high attendance in the summer was due to the fact that people came back. We did weekly rep so every Tuesday night there was a different opening right so our audience was a repeat audience when I say twenty eight thousand ticket sales for the nine weeks or the ten weeks it's because people bought for three shows right so and that's an amazing that's an amazing number to have and that kind of response because back in the cottage day in the summertime it was a whole lot of people from Lindsay because they adopted the summer theater. They loved the tradition of the Academy, but it also went all the way up to Minden, Halliburton, Cage, and Fenland, nor everywhere in between. Yeah. Port Perry was included in that too because of the Trent Severn sure. out of Lake Scugog. Um So there was a real buzz of cottage people. They would have their shore steak barbecue at six o'clock and they'd be at the front doors of the Academy at ten to eight, right? That was their nest audience. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we worked really hard. Uh, I think I had four hours off a week. <laughs> most of the crew, because we opened every Tuesday night with wow. a different show. And was it always the same group of actors for the summer? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's called a rep a rep company. company. Yeah. Even though, and what happens would be that uh, if it was an eight. Uh, cast show for week number one and a forecast show for week number two. Uh, some people might have gone home, but they were probably in show number three, so they'd come back. <laughs> they would stick around because they would have to learn. Right. You basically, when you went into rehearsal on a Tuesday morning or a Monday morning, you had basically to be off book within a day. Wow. Uh, and sometimes you had two scripts to think about. You had the one that you were doing at night, and then the next day you had to have a. the equity break was long enough that you couldn't come in till close to 12 o'clock or 11 o'clock. It's got to be 12 hours between the time that you left the theater and the time that you were called back to rehearsal. Okay. And so you had another script in your hand at 11 a.m., and you only had five or six days to work on that one, and then... Saturday night, show number one comes down. Sunday morning, show number two gets set up. The actors show up on Monday. We do a dress rehearsal Monday night. Wow. And we open Tuesday night. Jeez, that is something. That's the tempo of what what we did. Not just just us, the crew, but so many of the cast members who were in consecutive shows. Sure, yeah. So tight knit, tight knit group. Uh, Everybody had their own paddle and we had to get the work done not a lot of time for fooling around not a lot of time for getting it wrong mm-hmm. no right yeah
0: and what was your job during that
3: time i started as a lighting and sound technician oh yeah and that was my specialty along with stage management when i graduated from college um Niagara college was a tech program it was the only one in canada that had a placement in third year they did not Uh, do diplomas for actors or directors, uh, but they had a third year program for technicians who were going on placement. Oh, right. And um, so talk to the directors, talk to the designers, get the show tape done during the day. Uh, You couldn't really do anything with lights until the show was either coming down or going up because you, you can't you can't rearrange 30 lights right. for two plays, right. <laughs> and the inventory got a little better after a while for lighting. And uh, use the radio station for all my sound effects records. You couldn't go online and pick, you know, car blo- car blowing up or <laughs> uh, sound effects. You could you had to find them or right. make them do them live. Right. So there was a lot of toilet flushing recording or <laughs> breaking glass, uh, gunshots, music. Uh, the directors had to come in with uh, as best they could with pre-show and incidental music because our our sources up here were very limited. Right. We had a good record store, thanks to Van Halters, Yeah. back in the day. But if the directors were, and if the show was particular for certain types of music, you better bring a keyboard player or the albums that I can use to record off of. Right. And that's, that was the director's job. We would talk to them a week or two before or a month before they would come up and say if, if you're in Toronto or near a good shop, you, you're gonna have to find your music. Right. Because we won't find it up this way. Right. Jeez, that's fascinating. Yeah.
0: After Ray's years with the Corps at the Summer Theater, Ray left Lindsay and moved back to Toronto. And for a number of years he worked at the Tarragon Theater there. And then, well, I'll let him pick up the story when he actually comes back to Lindsay and becomes the general manager.
3: Then, uh, as my family got put together a little bit in the 80s, we ended up buying a house in Lindsay in 85. And by then I was the general manager for the summer theater, which was a five-month contract here, mm-hmm. in Lindsay. And that same summer, the manager decided to give his notice for the Academy position. There was only one full-time position under that roof at the time. And he he decided to pack it in. I, I applied for the manager's job, I got it, um, and we negotiated what I would do for the summer theater. Right. And who was that manager? That... Frank Ferguson, who okay. took over from Maggie Sweeting, Dennis's oh, okay. wife, yeah. um, five years prior to he, he started in 1980, he left in 85. Right, okay. So there's a, there's a, it was a nice, it was a nice development. Um, Matthew, our, our youngest, he was only one when we moved to Lindsay. And I wasn't really sure all about the front end of the theater. <laughs> but being in Tarragon, you had to run the building there wasn't a separate staff for the building. Right. Terragon's a 212-seat studio theater. So you had to take care of the parking lot, the roof, the eaves trough. <laughs> you had to monitor all the repairs, get the contractors in to do things, um, either as a production manager or even as a stage manager, you had to be responsible for the, for the space. Right. So, except the academy is four times bigger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that much older and higher and yeah that much older and definitely um, historical it's a historic wonder for for most of us that have spent time there so that was the the big move uh the board of the directors of the academy that hired me for the manager's position at the time were a little skeptical that i was going to stick around this guy just spent seven years in toronto he's going to pack up and move back to toronto when he finds out how how deep the snow is or how quiet it is or <laughs> yeah. that you know this isn't the challenge for him well they they kind of forgot that i had already spent seven or eight summers here right there was a definite attachment to the building um uh, even though it wasn't in the winter time um and i just bought a house exactly so yeah there was no running back to to <laughs> uh in fact i was quite glad to make the move and and start a family and uh so 85 to uh 2006 was my 21 year time at the academy and i saw i saw great things happen with the summer theater right up until 98 when they unplugged and and uh disappeared and then we had a couple of summer clients we had lots of winter clients Um, they were getting more and more during the fall winter spring The summer clients struggled in 99 and 2000 to 2004. Um, Things had changed and there's a, a little bit of how come, what happened. The generations that were coming along, particularly my age, at the time, you know, 35, 45, 50. We didn't want to go inside in the summertime. Right. We were out doing things on trails and canoes and kayaks and yeah. tents. And maybe trips to England or train passes for Britain and Europe. Yeah. Uh, we were thinking Rocky Mountains yeah. back then. Right. And I think the cottage, the cottage audience migrated uh grandpa and grandpa sold the family cottage on sturgeon lake for instance Mm -hmm. and the people that bought it wanted to enjoy the lake cottage lake yep and they might have come from the gta Where? where by 1985 to 1995 there was still summer theater but as of ninety-five, ninety-six, the equity company, the professional summer theater, went out by ninety-eight, and they can see professional theater in Toronto mm-hmm. in the winter. Right. They can go now to all the new spaces. Joseph was running. Phantom was running. The Jays were winning. Yeah. You know, like you Lots name of it, diversions. it was happening. <laughs> so there's yeah. a lot of distraction for ticket sales or audience um, development. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't happening. And Lindsay wasn't the only one feeling that. Yeah. Um, the Red Barn went down. Jackson's uh, at Jackson's Point. The Muskoka Summer Theater went into a, a being a roadhouse, so they just brought in shows that were coming through town or going by. Um, but then Port Hope ended up with the theater opening down there. So there was there was good news and not so good news right. all along the line. Yeah. And there's a whole you could do an essay on how how that changed but as they say nothing does stay the same mm-hmm. and um, Stratford and Shaw went through some really lean years but because they're the two of Canada's most uh, popular theater locations you know the federal and provincial government are not going to see those mountain type Productions yes. go down, but then they started doing musicals. Yeah, right. <laughs> and Shaw started doing musicals. Mm-hmm. So you could go and see Hamlet one night, and then you're going to see Superstar the next night. Yeah. So right. everybody had to shuffle to keep the buses, you know, the bus loads coming, and compete with all of the outdoor events, and try to garner that new audience that was sure. so yeah was so needed. Yeah. It was well, a long haul.
0: I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet. And when you started, I mean, obviously you saw great big changes across your 20-odd years at the, as general manager. Um, what were the most significant changes, other than the audience that you just mentioned? What were the most significant changes during that period, do you think?
3: Well, the, the Academy always had... For instance, it was up for sale in 1953 by Mm -hmm. Mr. Meehan, the owner, until 1963. There was a 10-year period where he had that building up for sale. Yeah. Um, And it was still being used by local groups. Yeah. For fundraisers, some of the the users even had their own key. Really? Mr. Meehan. Wow. That's how dependable these groups were. Hmm. Qantas Club, IODE, Harmony Hour Luncheon, um, I think Rotary Club was still involved with or just starting to do their travelogues on a monthly basis. Political rallies too. Some rallies. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of independent producers locally, like uh, Audris Hauser, for one. Some of the people might remember the Hauser family. Um And they would do musicals um, or maybe a church group would want to develop something in their hall and then take it to the theater. Right. So there was a lot of, and some bands, Mm -hmm. both schools um, used the theater Mm -hmm. as much as they could. So in 1963, the price tag was $18,000 for the Academy Theater. And that local connection with user groups and people that were caring, and then all of a sudden there was a board of directors struck for the Academy Theatre Foundation. right? And that was Dr. Service and his wife, Mrs. Service. And the mayor at the time, and a lot of interested people who raised the 18 grand. They also started the Academy Theatre Women's Guild, which you've heard of. Yes. And without the Women's Guild, there wouldn't have been a funding body. And they were the ones that were knocking on doors and and handing out programs for the next month's events. Yeah. And, and then the summer theater became an idea when the board talked to Dennis Sweeting and invited him up for the summer of 64, 65.
0: We will have lots more with Ray Marshall coming up in future episodes. But right now I want to get back to Jim Brown's story. Jim Brown is one of the most fascinating guys and what I'm going to do for this uh, this conversation is just let it run because to me he is fascinating to listen to so I really hope you enjoy listening to Mr. Jim Brown.
2: Well, of course, in the summer times because I was up here a lot um, I had got to know Dennis Sweeting mm-hmm. and Dennis Sweeting had said to me Do you know anything about the Summer Theatre? Well, I didn't know until he started telling me about it. Well, he said, you know, we're connected with the Academy Theatre. Now, is this the sort of thing you want to hear? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. She said, we're connected with the Academy Theatre, and he said, "Um, we work closely with them. We're we're sort of an offshoot. The Academy Theatre sponsors the court the summer theater, which then became very popular, as mm-hmm. you know, and my God, people were coming from miles yeah. to see the summer theater. So Dennis, when I he heard that I came that I had been hired and I came up here, I it wasn't, I don't think, two or three days before he was on the phone. I need to see you right away. So Dennis Sweeting, you know what I mean by Dennis Sweeting? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes. And Maggie, his wife. Yes. Dennis Weeding, uh came to see me, and he said, Jimmy, you're just the kind of person we need on the Kortha Summer Theatre. And I said, um, yeah, I love that sort of thing, and I've been so involved in Toronto, and, you know, singing with operas and operettas and all kinds of stuff, and concerts. I said, yeah, Dennis, this sounds like my cup of tea. Well, he said, you're, I'm, I'm putting your name up right away, to come on. So I went on. After two years they appointed me as the chairman of the board. Now their um, arrangement with the uh, Academy Theater was that the chairman of the board of the Summer Theater also sat on the board of the Academy Theater. Okay. Yeah. And that's how they kept that close connection, which was a very smart move.
0: So the summer theater had its own board.
2: Yeah, it had its own board. So then somebody from that board was up on the other board, so they kept in close contact with what was going on. And if something was changing up here, it got right down there quickly. If they were doing something here that was going to affect them, it went right up quickly. It was a very smart arrangement. Mm -hmm. It worked out beautifully.
0: That's great.
3: And
2: uh, then Dennis had his terrible accident. And now he lived through it, which was amazing. And we had to start getting uh, directors in. We had to start getting, you know. And um, it, so we got a lot of different directors coming in. And Dennis was trying to get himself back, and he wanted to get back into system again. But that whole thing just gradually fell through. It was never going to work the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, I won't mention any names for different ones that came in because I don't want to get them involved. But they were never the same. And of course we could never work the same. So that the Court of the Summer Theatre um, started to go and do all kinds of things that had, was not related to us at all oh, as see. far as the theatre was concerned and they were doing things that were they were losing money hand over fist and we'd always made money i mean we were self persever- persevering right. and we donated a chunk of money every year to the academy theater which was really helping them go because then were they were having support so that when they went to the city the city was then starting to support them with for their taxes and things. So it was a wonderful operation that was going on, but because of some of these people that were coming in and starting to change, they wanted to change the whole look of the Kortha Summer Theater. And it just didn't work. Yeah, And before you knew it, phew. So of course when that happened, um, I, oh no, before that happened, a couple of years before that happened actually, they asked me, the 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 court the, the academy theater asked me to please come on their board. They wanted me on the board. So I said, okay, now there was the other Jimmy Brown. Do you remember Jimmy Brown no. clothing? No. Oh, well, he had a clothing store in okay. Lindsay, and his name was Jimmy Brown. Yeah. And so when I first got involved, and here was my name, Jimmy Brown coming up, James Brown, we were starting to get all kinds of confusion. Our, our mail was going the wrong way. You wouldn't have believed it. It was just a howl, an absolute howl. So anyways, um, then Jimmy Brown was on the summer theater, and Jimmy said to me, Listen, I'll, I'll take over. I'll, I'll become the chairman in your place, if you like, if you want to go up, because I wanted to go up and be part of the Academy Theater. And so I moved up, and uh, just as a board member mm-hmm. to start. And as the years went by, we st- I started to get more involved with, with the different parts of the board. And then, of course, I was elected chairman of the board for several years. And what year would that have been? And you? I'm really trying to, and I knew you'd ask me that. <laughs> that had to be in, I don't know, if there's any records... Of the theater, if anybody's kept records of the theater, that will be in there, okay, because and then, when I was appointed the chairman, I was on the board for a few years, and then I was appointed the chairman, so and it was, was probably the like early
0: eighties maybe court, hmm? early eighties maybe
2: um could have been or the early nineties okay yeah
0: we'll we'll find that out yeah, I
2: think I think it'll be somewhere written down yeah. there must be somebody's Somewhere you must be able to find stuff. Yes, and people kept people were keeping records yeah. of because we had a secretary, and you know, I mean, the board had all of the appointments of uh, going organization. Sure, yeah. And so there was somebody keeping track of all the different things that went in, and I can't remember now. It's been so long ago. I can't remember who was who, you know. Yeah. But we had a wonderful board, and oh my God, the stuff we did was really exciting. And what what was the function back then of the board? What was well, the, the function of the board was to be, um, I think basically, we had communication with um, the um, Ontario government through the, um, what's that, what's that program called? Um, Heritage. Okay. And the government, and we got in with the government and we had meetings with the government, and pretty soon the government were supporting the Academy Theater. Hmm. They were giving us money every year for production and, you know, operation. Right. So that went on. and Now, I don't know whether that still goes or not. I don't know what has happened. Also, the city of Coirtha Lakes, got. I really got on to them. I went to meetings of the, of the council, and told them about the importance of the theater to the community, and, and and the theater was just getting bigger and bigger and doing more and more stuff all the time, mm-hmm. you know. And eventually, um, now which one, Jim Flynn okay. was the mayor. yeah. And Jim Flynn said to the council, we've got to support the theater. We should have been doing this for years and years. And so suddenly, the, the council was supporting the theater and giving um, a grant every year to the theater to operate. So things gradually got better and better and better, and we started to, you know, involve between the government and the town. Things
0: really started to to go right. And it would have been the town of Lindsay back then, not not the city core of the lakes. Right. No, that's yeah. right. Yeah, town of Lindsay. Right. right. Okay. That's and then,
2: of course, um, I, well, I retired. I mean, I just gradually retired. I've been on for years and years. But in the meantime, of course, in 1978, um, I was approached by Sir Sanford Fleming College to talk about forming a community choir. And I thought it was a great idea, but didn't think it would ever come off. Mm-hmm. So we had a meeting. We put a notice, a big notice, in the newspaper. Anybody wanted to sing and be part of a choir, the whole thing. And we had a meeting in the fall of 1978. And I was amazed. I said, well, they said to me, how many people do you need to form a choir? And I said, well, I think we would have to have 20, 20 plus people if you're going to have a choir. Sure. So we called this meeting. I went that night having no idea what was going to happen. And there were 61 people wow. came out. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I said, are you people sure you want to you know? I just thought they were. But they were keen. They Great. really were keen. Yeah. So we decided we'd start the choir up in 1979 in January. And the second Monday of every month would be choir practice. Yeah. And then we gradually added more practices as we needed them. Right. So that, and it just started to go. And that choir got up to be a, a 150.
0: Isn't that wonderful? You know, it's
2: amazing. Well, I've written a lot of stuff. There's only little bits in there, but there are little bits in there. Yeah. And so that was another facet that I got into as far as this was concerned. Right. And uh, as far as the Academy Theatre was concerned, it... it really ran extremely well on its own for many many years (coughs) and then I went off the board I retired and other people came on and some people were very successful um, at running it and seeing that it was going. Um, You would get I would think again it's got to be somewhere written, you know, each, as each chairman came on, you'll have that written down somewhere think, yeah. in the theater. I don't know, I really think so.
0: Many thanks to Jim and to Ray for joining us on this episode, both fascinating characters to listen to. Normally, Craig Metcalf would be with us to talk about upcoming events, but as is often the case, January is a very slow month at the theater. So I thought that I would just kind of run down some of the events happening in February because that is a usually busy month, and this year is no exception. Um, We're going to be talking to um, a couple of these people in the next episode, but I want to mention, first of all, on February 5th, Miss Jan Arden will be there, which is a great big coup for the theater to get Jan Arden. Her show on February the 5th will be a fundraiser for Women's Resources. And I'm sure it will be a packed house. On Thursday, February the 9th, there's a show called Hiprov, which should be very interesting. It features um, an improv group along with a hypnotist. And I'm looking forward to seeing seeing the, uh, the outcome of this. It's supposed to be quite interesting to watch. Thursday, February the 16th, will feature one of the rock and roll legends around here. Mr. Kim Mitchell will be bringing his rock and roll duty to town. That's on the 16th of February. The 18th of February features a show called Lennon Live, the John Lennon tribute, featuring the wonderful music of Mr. John Lennon. And then on February the 20th, Splash and Boots will be here, a special kids attraction, and they are getting rave reviews everywhere they go. That attraction will be happening on the holiday, family day on february the 20th so make sure you get your family out to that okay so that's a wrap for our january episode thank you very much for joining us we look forward to bringing you more information more stories more memories and all kinds of good stuff around the academy theater in the coming months have yourself a great day and don't forget to support the arts it's important